Welcome everybody, Behind the Lens. I am the engineer Brian and Debbie Lynn Elias. If, uh, before, well, obviously if you're watching the YouTube videos, we record in here, so we're starting up the cameras because we were both chit-chatty about Guardians of the Galaxy 2. And uh, Debbie's here now. Hi, Debbie. I am here. Welcome. Welcome back for another episode of Behind the Lens. Already, second week of May. Can you believe it? Where is the time going? Of course, Brian was spending part of his weekend at Disneyland. I was spending mine watching Guardians of the Galaxy two more times. Something that he has not yet done. He's shaking his head like he thinks shaking his head works. You've seen it uh, two more times than I have seen it so far. No, I've seen it three altogether. You have seen it three times. Yes. Uh, I'm a little disappointed that Disneyland has done nothing for, for Guardians. Guardians. Uh, what they are doing, though, on the 27th is they open up the, the Guardians Tower. Uh-huh. They're going to have a special event where you have to buy tickets for $125 to go and be one of the first people to ride it. No. Yep, that's what I was saying. I'll pass on that. Yeah, That's the only thing they're doing so far in terms of, of Guardians inside the park. I will gladly take my $125 and keep going back to see Guardians on the big screen because it is that good. And all I can say is baby Groot, baby Groot, baby Groot. Anybody that follows me on social media... Uh, BTL Radio Show, Movie Shark D, or on Facebook, Behind the Lens, or Debbie Lynn Elias. You know how many baby group pictures I have been posting all week. Because he is just the cutest character that anyone has ever, ever created. I loved Baymax from Big Hero 6, but doesn't compare with baby Groot. And especially dancing baby Groot. Um, I will. I do have to say this to everybody listening. If you have not seen Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 yet, stay to the very, very end. The, the end credits are peppered with different Easter egg scenes. It is fabulous. So you have to stay to the bitter end. Uh, I did chuckle yesterday. There was a, a, a little boy and his dad who were at the Arclight in Culver City watching and dad wanted to leave as soon as the credit starts and the little boy is like no 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 we have to stay there's going to be something so there's one easter egg uh clip and then dad's like come on and they start to leave and i turned around because they were behind me and i said no you don't want to leave there's more and the little boy got his eyes lit up and he sat there leaning forward in his seat grinning from ear to ear through the end credits, it, periodically you see I am Groot popping up everywhere. And, he w- and he'd read it, I am Groot, I see I am Groot. And then there'd be another clip of some sort. And he was just overjoyed. And then his dad thanked me afterwards that I made him stay so that he, they could see the entire thing. So please stay to the bitter, bitter end. This is one film, you know, there are several Marvel films that have disappointed us where we sit and we wait and then we don't have something an added bonus at the end. Well, James Gunn has made up for it with Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. And if you don't have the soundtrack, get it. It is a terrific soundtrack and very much in tune with not only the story but the visuals of the story. Uh, and that's all I'm going to say. So, we have a great show for you today. As many of you know, you know, we've been promoting Stage LA uh, the past few weeks. As After 33 years, the gala fundraiser that uh, raises funds uh, for AIDS Project at Los Angeles, this is going to be the final year. David Galligan announced it several weeks ago. We broke the news here on Behind the Lens. And since then, we've had we've been having some of the performers on the show. Uh, last week, we had Bill Hutton, who was there for the very first show. Uh, and has been there intermittently over the past 32 years, will now be there for year 33 next Saturday on May 13th. And, of course, 
the woman who was right there at the very beginning and has been there every year but for two, Carol Cook. Carol Cook joins us today at the quarter hour mark. I am so excited. I know Brian's excited. He loves having Carol call in as a guest over anybody else. No offense to all of our other lovely guests, but that is Brian's personal favorite is Carol Cook. Uh, And Carol is going to talk to us not only about stage, but with her history in stage and screen. She has more anecdotes that she has not told. And, of course, one of the big things is I'm sure that she's going to have a few things to say in remembrance of Robert Osborne. Uh, Robert, wa- Robert was best man at her wedding to Tom Troop. Lucille Ball was the matron of honor. So, and Carol has some very fun and fond remembrances. So, hopefully she will talk about some of those. But, of course, film fans know her from 16 Candles, television, from Murder, She Wrote, uh, all, her biggest screen appearance, undoubtedly, though, that has now welcomed in two more generations of kids, the incredible Mr. Limpet with Don Knotts. So Carol will be joining us shortly. But before we get to Carol, another film that opened this weekend, if you're not uh, in a superhero mood, how about uh, a little uh, drama with a tinge of thriller to it? That's exactly what you get from Oren Moverman. And The Dinner. The Dinner is an amazing... If you haven't read the book, Herman Koch's 1989, if I can talk today, uh, 2009 (laughs) bestseller of the same name, um, Oren has adapted it. The book is set in Amsterdam, and it involves a family. They're meeting. Their children have done something heinous. And it involves around questions of morality. Coke takes a very sarcastic look at the world and the social classes um, with on the page. But then when you put it into Oren Moverman's hands, magical things happen. And I have the great fortune to actually be able to call Oren Moverman a friend. Um, And we sat down and we talked at great length about the dinner and his working with Bobby Bukowski, for another pairing that created some of the most beautiful visuals and metaphoric storytelling the two of them have ever done. This surpasses what they did last year with Time Out of Mind starring Richard Gere. Richard Gere is back on board, too, with Oren for the dinner. Um, But what Oren has done is he moved the setting from Amsterdam to northeast United States, upstate New York, Uh, which opens up a whole other world for him to explore. And then he he takes out a lot of the sarcasm of Coke, hones it in with one character played by Steve Coogan. It's basically two brothers, Coogan and Richard Gere, and their wives uh, in this ensemble. And it is set, it is a family unraveling, filled with chaos, set to this very ostentatious and glorified, dinner seven course dinner and it the film is more or less chapterized by the courses that we see unfold and that mimics the courses of the of the lives and the events that are unfolding so here is just a brief bit of what Oren and I talked about with regard to him adapting the script well you know you know me well enough you know that for me everything is process you know, and I just trust that you go through the process and you end up where you need to end up. So, not everything is thought out. As much as I'd like to say I'm, you know, full control of everything, I'm, I'm not, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm not even looking for that. I think, you know, I, if you ask me, like, what made, what got me interested in this project, uh, the answer is Kate Blanchett. I mean, it wasn't the project, to be honest with you. Uh, it wasn't like I read the book and went, I have to do this. Like the uh, the fool that I am, I just stumble into these situations, and I kind of say, <laughs> I, it's just my lot in life, so I just I don't fight it anymore. And um, I kind of thought, well, if I was directing this movie, what could this movie be? And that started the process of kind of getting into things that I care about. And not that we wouldn't have gotten there with her, but it just wasn't the just didn't take the next step I took the next step by myself and you know I've, I've been more and more active in the world of mental health uh, 
initiatives and working in D.C. through the movies I've worked on with uh, various organizations, including Given Hour and the Campaign to Change Direction, the serious um, mental health organization in D.C. and mental health advocacy. And I thought, you know, this will be my fourth film as a director. I felt very, very, very grateful. Um, and I always felt that if I make a movie as a director, it has to be about something that is close to reality. It doesn't have to be reality, but it has to be close to it. The Messenger was about bereavement in, in the military, but it was about the price of war. And Rampart was about police corruption, but it was also about PTSD and Vietnam in a strange way. Um, Time on the Mind was about homelessness. About, Time on the Mind was about homelessness and mental illness. Um, and I thought, what is this movie? What, what, what's the opportunity here? This is the first movie I'm making as a director with people who are not poor or working class. This is this is the elite. This is the 1%. So I thought more and more about mental health. And I, I basically called this woman, Barbara Vanderhelen, who started um, Given Hour in a campaign to change direction. I said, what's... What's needed in the world of mental in the world of mental health? What what could this congressman, who's kind of a show off, even though he's so charming and so humanistic, he's really kind of a grandstander in a very unusual way. What could he be fighting for? And she said, Well, you know, we really need parity between physical health and mental health in this country. And that's how I started developing that part of it. So everything kind of came in in order to mean something. Um, the book was rich in the sense that it had so many metaphors. It touched so many issues. Um, and I thought in an American context, moving it from Europe, putting the Civil War in for World War II, um, it was just going to be a meal. I mean, it's a pun, but it's, it's a stupid pun. But the dinner was going to oh, be a... come on. What do I say? The sumptuous feast for the psyche and the senses. I know. It's so tempting. But I thought the meal was going to be the movie. It wasn't going to be about the food. The food was kind of a joke. It wasn't going to be about the courses of the meal. It was going to be about the courses of the movies. And when we get to Gettysburg, it wasn't going to be about the mental breakdown of the character. It was going to be the mental breakdown of a movie, uh, which is so fucking pretentious, you know. But you know me. I'm and that is, that's Oren Moverman talking about the cre- adaptation of The Dinner. He mentions Kate Blanchett, and let me give you a little background on that. He was originally tapped by Kate Blanchett to write the script. The, she had gotten, uh, gotten the rights to the film. It was her intent to direct the film. Oren did the script, wrote a draft. She loved it, was all set to direct. But then with her hectic schedule and all the projects she has on the table, she just was not going to be, would not have the time to do it justice. And she gave it back to him and said, here, wouldn't you like to direct it? Uh, so then that's when he retailored the script to add in the issues that were important to him with the mental illness and then the Americana and the American history of the, of the Civil War and the Battle of Gettysburg, which play a prominent part within the structure of the film. So I can't encourage you enough to see the film. It is absolutely incredible. Um, you will be riveted. And, and Pardon the pun, but you will be salivating for more as you watch this. And by film's end, you aren't going to know which way is up. Well, one thing that is up right now, is this who I think it is, Brian? Hello, Carol Cook. Hi, Debbie Lynn. How are you, darling? I am fine. How are you? Welcome, welcome. Well, I'm glad I'm glad to be here, darling. I've reached the age I'm glad to be anywhere. Oh, good heavens. <laughs> but I'm bum. Yeah. <laughs> well, I can't tell you, you know, everybody, I've been putting out on social media, and I think Scott has as well, that you were going to be doing the show today. Everybody, yeah. the TCM fans have been excited. Classic oh. film fans have been excited. You know, Fabulous. And I'm excited, too. I said... This is our yearly call, my darling. Yes, it is. It's, it's what I call now tradition. Yes. <laughs> and you remember that, David Lynn. I <laughs> will. I definitely will. And, of it, course, you know you're the only reason Brian came into work today, just so he could answer the phone and talk to you. And it's the only reason I called. Now, oh. No offense to you. <laughs> no offense to you. We have a thing going on. I know. But I really am happy to. I'm just 
thrilled to talk to you because it's always fun, my darling. I try. I try. How is your handsome husband? Oh, he's fabulous. You mean the depressed Italian, Yes, Yes, the depressed Italian. Yes. Uh, Thomas the Kind, I said I married a depressed Italian. All the other Italians I know, it's bring on the plastic flowers. And Tom's going, I don't know, I think it's going to (laughs) rain. He gives self-effacement, you meaning, darling. Yes, I know, but he does it so charmingly. Yeah, he does. He does. It's It's that dark, swarthy look, which has now turned into silver-haired look, darling. And, you know, and now you got you got to give him credit because who's copying his silver-haired look but George Clooney, so... Uh, that's it. Our silver-haired love for me. I simply cover mine up with old Lucille Ball hair dye. Well, so in other words, that's what you got in her will was all of her old hair dye? Yeah, and she didn't know I was going to live this long. I've almost run out. Uh-oh. <laughs> Uh oh. Uh oh. Oh no, there's more where that came from, sweetheart. You know, if if I ever if I ever if L'Oreal ever runs out of dye, I'm coming to you. <laughs> Honey, I've got it stacked in there. Oh sure you like red though. I do. Oh, good. Because my hair work, I go through work out for you, honey. I go through different different tones of red. But oh, do you? Yes. Oh. Okay. Right now right now my hair and, and when you see me next week, it's probably closer to your red. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, what a shame. I certainly hope it looks good on you, darling, said she. I I think it might. (laughs) Okay, we we will see, my precious. Because next week is a big weekend, you know. Next week is huge because it is the 33rd annual Stage L.A. fundraiser. And um, as everybody probably knows now... We are the longest-running AIDS benefit in the world. Yep. There are others who have run, but they would drop out for one, you know, one reason or another uh, year. But we've, we've been steady. We've been steady, darling. And and you said the important word, though, in the phrase, in the world. Not just in the country, not in California, in the world. That's right. 33 years. And I tell you, this is it's going to be, well, David and it'll be a very exciting show because not only will we hopefully put on a great show, but it will have the added thing of the emotion because we've all been together 33 years. Yeah. Now, of that 33, uh, I've done 31. Yep. So I said, my God. I've gone into menopause twice before this audience. I mean, 33 years is a long time, darling. Some of them weren't even born. I wish you hadn't said that. Well, (laughs) they weren't even, hey. Honestly, I did think of that the other day. (laughs) I thought, my God. Oh, I was talking to a young man, as a matter of fact, from from Brazil. And um, he said... um, Miss Cook, I hear you're doing this. And I said, yes. And I said, we've been doing it 33 years. And I said, and just think, somebody was born 33 years ago on that, was the conception on that night, and they're now 33 years old. He said, I'm that boy. I'm 33 years old. Oh, my. And I loved it. That's fabulous. I said, well, I'm sorry you look so grown. I was hoping you'd look 12 years old. <laughs> Nonetheless, darling. But, you um, know, this is a bittersweet one, too, because yeah, this will be I the... thought, Debbie as the audience knows, I love them to pieces. But remember, they've grown old in front of my eyes, too. Yeah. Don't. Are, are mature. We'll put it Mature. Back. Yes, we yeah. like that word better. Mature. And, I, and the other day, I was looking in the mirror, and I thought... Jeez, oh, I'm aging very well. This is just fabulous. I realized at that time that God works in wondrous ways. I was going blind. Oh. And I put on glasses and scared myself to death. <laughs> so don't get glasses, darling. <laughs> don't get glasses. <laughs> I said, it's like that old joke when people go up, when they as they get older, they go up a flight of stairs and they can't remember what they were going to get up there for. 
I said, mine's worse. I get halfway up. I swear, I can't remember whether I was going up or down. So I just I just choose one. And there's always something I've forgotten. You know? <laughs> so anyway, it's, uh, I said, death is the new 50. Now think about that. Hmm. Yeah, now think about that. You'll be all right. Death is, is the new 50. 50. Okay. But it does take some thought. But It I does. Love I love it. Love it. Yes. But you know what? It's all good. Honest to God. Because, you know, they always say as people get older, they get mean. I've decided, no, darling, we don't get mean. We just are not making points anymore. <laughs> and, and when you want somebody to move their ass, you just say, move it. And you don't, you don't, you're not nice about it. <laughs> Because they go, I'm never going to see them again. That's right. Whee! Of course, I have that philosophy now at 59, so. Oh, well, that's not good. <laughs> you're going to be in real trouble, honey. You're going to come down that ladder and you're going to meet those people. Uh-oh. You better wait to get a little older, sweetheart. Oh, all right. I'll wait another four years or yeah. so. Yeah. Make that five. Make okay. it five. Okay. Yeah, make it five. Uh, but... You know, it's, this is going to be a bittersweet stage, too, because this is the last one. It's the last one. However, I have heard rumblings yes. that somebody, others might pick up the mantle to continue it. Uh, we, uh, we hope so. You know, I hope so. I think that would be quite wonderful. And, uh, well, we'll just see. Because through the years, I think my darling audience knows this, but... Honest to God, Debbie, and you know there were people who were fabulous, like Elizabeth Taylor, who made millions. By the way, over the years, we've made five million. Mm -hmm. But you know what? Our work is very personal. Uh, We, um, you know, we feed people all Southern California and pay their rent, their hospital bills, their health care. And it's on a much more uh, personal level. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's, that's why I'm proud of what we do. And we started out, I swear to God, nobody knew the disease. We started out in 1984, and um, David Galligan um, started it uh, with two others, and he um, he's directed every one of them, yep. you know, since. He started with Michael Kearns, uh, James Carroll uh, Pickett, who died of AIDS, and Susan Obrow, and they all started, and um, and it's kind of wonderful that David has directed them all, mm-hmm. you know. And we, I remember we charged 10 bucks, and they said, what's this for? And we said, well, see, it's this, we're having trouble, and we explained the disease as best we could, and we would go and, and uh, to the theater, uh, theater arts, Variety Arts, and I swear to you, we would clean the bathrooms, we would bring the coffee, we did each other's hair. It was it was like an old Judy Garland, Mickey Rooney mm-hmm. uh, movie where you said, gee, this is a swell old barn. Why don't we fix it up and do the show in here? Mm-hmm. You know, it was, that, it was that kind of operation. So when you think the way it's grown... It's quite wonderful. Well, you quite know, wonderful. I still remember a few years ago, Robert Osborne told me when I was telling him, because you had told me about how it started and cleaning the toilets in the bathrooms. And he said, he said, I would have paid anything to see Carol Cook on her knees cleaning the toilet. <laughs> oh, what a tacky thing to say. <laughs> you know, and to come out Bob of Robert Osborne. <laughs> Bob Osborne, of course, was uh, Tom's... Um, my best friend. He was uh, best man at our wedding. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember I said to Bob, when we were getting ready, uh, planning the wedding, I said, oh, Bob, Bob, I just like for my wedding, I don't think I wear any makeup. I want to look virginal. <laughs> and he said, Carol, in the theater, for you to look virginal, we call that a stretch. <laughs> <laughs> But I did, Debbie Lynn. And in fact, I, I, my vision was that I was looking like Grace Kelly, and I wasn't. I was looking like the ghost of Christmas past. 
and I remember Tom raised the veil when we got down to the altar, and he was like Helen Keller. He put his hand down and went like, Carol, trying to feel my face to <laughs> see if it was really me. It was unbelievable. But Bob was our best man. In fact, um, as everybody knows, Robert died a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And we did, um, they had a wonderful memorial for him in New York. And Tom and I did a video that they played in, in New York for it. So he will be sorely, sorely missed, my darling. Well, you know, at the at the TCM Film Festival this year, which was just, which was the first week of April, so it was just mere days after his passing, and it was there. You felt it around the festival. You felt his absence. Oh, I think so. He was the grand poobah of TC. Well, he was TCM. Yeah, he started it, and so his name will forever be linked with that. But you know, we—he had. I mean, he was Mister Nice Guy. He really was. He wasn't gossipy, which, by the way, I held against him. <laughs> uh, I mean, what kind of man doesn't gossip? But he didn't. And uh, I've known him for 57 years. And he was the kindest, you know, loyal. But he had a wicked sense of humor, which a lot of people didn't know. You had to know him well to, you know, be in conversation. But he was, he did like telling me that about my trying to look virgin. <laughs> I mean, I thought he was damn funny. And, oh. And there was a song when I first came out here to with Lucille Ball brought me out here. Bob Oswald was the first person I met after Lucy. And so um, he heard me sing auditions for years and do shows. And there was a number called Red Hot Mama. And I sang it, and his eyes would just roll every time I would sing that song. Because he'd say, don't you know another song? <laughs> I said, no, I've got to sing this. And I'm not kidding about this. He called us, Tom and myself, he called us uh, to talk to us when he was the last call he made to us mm-hmm. before he died. And everything was very somber on the phone. And, uh, and in my best way, I said, Oh, Bob, we talked for about an hour. Mm-hmm. It was hard for him to talk, but he wanted to talk to us both and talk, tell us things. I said, very dramatically, oh, Bob, what can we do? What can I say? What can I do? Just tell me. Just tell me. And he said, don't ever sing Red Hot Mama <laughs> again. Oh. Oh. <laughs> I thought that was pretty damn funny. That's... Right at that dramatic moment. Oh, and, my but anyway, he was a joy to know, and I, we are blessed to have had him in our lives. So you know, and thanks to TCM and their their archives, you know, all of his interviews, his his stories that he would tell about films, all of that will live on for future oh, generations. It's a treasure trove. Do you remember before there were uh, the cell phones, and you is that woman named Siri that you talk to and say, Siri, what? Oh, yes. Well, I said, Bob was our Mr. Siri long before there was a Miss Siri. (laughs) Because if we had an argument before cell phone uh, about some movie or something, we called Bob Osborne. That was was who we called. That was our cell phone asking Siri for years. And I still ignored that woman. I called Bob. (laughs) I don't trust her worth a damn. No, I'd go look it up in the encyclopedia first. Yeah. She gives (laughs) wrong information, darling. Do you know I have never used Siri? Are you kidding? I have never used Siri. Well? I I much prefer the old-fashioned way of I will look stuff up for myself because I trust myself over this voice in in the ether. Well, you know what? I think you're right. I think half the people... Just call and ask dumb questions just to see what she'll say. So oh. anyway, I I don't I don't use her personally, you know. I bet Tom anyway, does. We, we're lucky she's there, and you know, 
with all of the technology, it's much easier now for all of us to look. In fact, uh, Tom and I give um, master classes at universities and things. And I'm not, the only thing I find that the students and their master classes, so their students who are interested in the theater getting their master degrees, I find that with information so available to them, we used to, I'm older than you, so you did, probably never had to. We had to go to the library. Oh, I did too. We didn't okay. have computers, yeah. Oh, no, and I said, why don't you kids look up what came before you? You know, um, they don't seem to have a curiosity about uh, what came before them. I mean, I was curious. I'm not saying this sounds like, you know, the older generation. Well, I am, but I I wanted to know what, what came before me. Mm-hmm. Who were the people that were famous and what were they famous for? And the talented people and all that. And I always give a lecture about that because I say, you have the computer. You can do it in the flash, you know. We had to get my mother to take us to the public library, mm-hmm. you know. I had to do the same thing when I would have to do school reports for school and use the public library because we were actually told you can't use the library in the school. You have to go use the public library that had a lot more resources. Exactly. So then I then it was I had to wait for my dad because I was only in elementary school and junior high. I couldn't drive and there wasn't public there wasn't public transportation there. So I had to wait for when it was convenient for him to take me. Isn't that Yes, and I love those kind of outings. It was a privilege, you know, when mother would drive us or when I learned to drive. It was, I mean, we thought that was, that was like really special. Oh, and. Kind of like going to a movie. Going to the library is one of, and I worked in the library all through elementary school, junior high school. I worked in the school library. To me, I did. There is nothing, I even got three years in a row, I got library aid of the year. Oh my gosh. Well, see, I think that's fabulous. And. Uh, there's nothing that makes me happier than going into a library and, you know, sadly they've gotten rid of card catalogs, but to flip through the card catalog to find the book that you wanted yes, and the yes. smell of it. And then to, uh, the books, they have this great smell. And, and remember when they would put a little piece of paper there and you were supposed to have the book back by a certain day. Yes. And I remember my mother say, it'll cost you, I think it was a nickel a day or something. Be sure and get that book back on time. Mm-hmm. Oh, I loved all, and and it was quiet. They go shh, mm-hmm. quiet in the library. Well, those were the good old days, honey. I know, I know. But you're right, though. About you and I have talked about the lack of curiosity in the younger generations now. But it's when you say that this this happens in master classes of acting. That to me. Is just that's reprehensible. That what, honey? Say it, that again. For when you and Tom are teaching these master classes, and right. there are students that don't know who came before them. That's correct. And don't know the history. That to me is reprehensible. That is inexcusable. Well, see, I just question, and they they're terrific, talented kids. I mean, you know, they're on the ball, and that's it. But I, I honestly, and I'm, when I, I put them to the test, I talk about Ethel Merman and people that have not have been, they've not been gone that long. Mm-hmm. I'm not talking about Duzo or Sarah Bernhardt hundreds of years ago. And they go, well, no, I, I think I've heard of her. <laughs> you think you've heard of her? Now, these are master class people. They should. It's not the man on the street, you know. And I don't know. That drives me nuts. It does. And it's so easy for them. Mm -hmm. And when you said library, I thought, uh, I I went to a school called Baylor University, and there was a man named Paul Baker who was head of the drama department, very famous Yale Drama School. And 
my God, you had to take history, theater history. That was one of the things you had you had to do mm-hmm. to get a degree. And I found it fabulous. I loved reading all about those people. And uh, you could read about their personal lives and their professional lives. It was fun. It was like watching a movie. Mm-hmm. And ironically, so many of the people that you and I read about in books, their lives have been turned into movies. Oh, my gosh. Yes. And people love them. Yes. They're, they're, the biographies in movies are usually fabulous. Mm-hmm. Most of them are fat. They're always dogs, but they're always a few dogs. <laughs> well, you know, you mentioned Meth- Ethel Merman. So i got to ask you, because a little bird told me that at stage, you're going to be doing an Ethel Merman number? Yes, I'll tell you what. We're go- uh, it's icons and idols this year. I know. So people are relating. That's a rather loose, you know, you can really kind of do anything. Um, but we're going to talk about um, uh, and sing, sing about uh, songs that have been made famous by men or women mm-hmm. that we've all known through the ages. And so there, so I'm going to talk about three women. I'll do a little bit of a song at first, because this year it will be, I will do bits and pieces from things that, or kind of tradition. We were talking about tradition. Mm-hmm. And so I'll do um, a song when I come out, and I will do some talking to John uh, John Moore, the signer, the one who signs for the he, deaf. He you know. is so fabulous. Is he darling? Uh, he f- signs that entire show, song lyrics, monologues, chit-chat. He is fabulous. Fabulous. I would take a gun and kill myself if I had to do And let me tell you something. I remember where I was about that. But John is so adorable. And the audience, you know, they wait now for him to do something with me and all that. But when we first started, we were doing a show, and um, David Gallagher came to me, and he said, Now, Carol, it was the first time we'd had a signer. Mm -hmm. And he said, uh, John Moore, a young man, will be on your left, and um, he's a signer. And I said, what is that? He said, well, it's signing for the hard of hearing. And, the, and I said, oh, all right. And then I quickly said, will he be in a spotlight, too? <laughs> <laughs> and David said, a, a much dimmer one, darling. Don't worry about that. And, just kidding, Debbie. So I said, would it be all right if I said something to him when I go out? And David said, well, I'll ask him. So so David went. I said, what did he say? He said, uh, tell Miss Cook I'm very shy. Don't say anything to me. No, I'll just faint if she says anything. Please don't. Well, that's all I had to hear, of course. I went right out and said to him, well, you look like Patty Duke in The Miracle Worker. And <laughs> I thought he was going to faint. But the story is he loved it so and loved being on that it became it became a tradition mm-hmm. for me to do a bit with him. And now, I'm not kidding you, I've made him a star, and I'm over in the dim light now. He's front and center. And he gives me notes. He'll come off and say, Carol, I think you should have said that faster, that line. That'll get a bigger laugh if you... I go, John, I'm doing the best I can. I've made you a star. Now get out of my life. That's right. And But they do. They wait for him to do something. So I will do a bit with him. Then I will talk about three women that are icons. And that's Ann Miller, Michelle... Uh, oh. Yeah, Lucille Ball and Ethel Merman. Oh, my. And um, I will tell stories about them. And the ones that I've been involved with, Tom and I have been involved with, and uh, true stories. And um, I will tell you one that I will tell for. And would you like to hear one? I would love to. This is Ann Miller. 
I was doing 42nd Street on Broadway, and she was doing, uh, oh, the well, the one with the Mickey Rooney. Sugar Babies. Yeah, Sugar Babies. Thank you, darling. And um, the cast, when we were talking at the lunch break, they'd been, uh, oh, this is Passover. It's Pesach. And I said, oh, really? And we talked about it. As I came out the stage door of my show, Annie came out her door. And I said, oh, hi, Annie. She said, hello, kiddo. She always talked like the 30s, the 1930s. And uh, I said, are you, what are you doing for Passover? And she said, oh, kiddo, I don't play those word games. <laughs> <laughs> I said, no, it's Passover, not password, dear. <laughs> I mean, I mean, she was, she was darling. But what you saw was what you got. And I think that all that blue eyeshadow that they wore at MGM went to her brain. And she was adorable. But then, um, and the Lucy, of course, I will talk about Lucy quite a bit because she's the one who brought me out here, changed my name from Mildred Francis, which was not a hard decision to make. (laughs) (laughs) Let's be honest, uh, to Carol, for Carol Lombard, who was a famous actress long before your time, who was married to Clark Gable Mm -hmm. and was killed in World War II in uh, a plane crash. She was on a Bond rally tour, anyway, the plane crash. So Lucy loved her, just loved her. And um, she named me after her. And I said, why Carol Lombard? And she evidently Carol Lombard had a mouth on her. <laughs> and it, Lucy said, I remember her words. She said, because you and Carol Lombard had the same healthy disrespect for everything in general. <laughs> and I took that as a compliment. I think it is. And then I'll talk about um, Ethel Merman. Mm-hmm. And uh, she was an amazing woman. And while I was doing 42nd Street, every Sunday night, uh, we would have uh, dinner together. Somewhere we did an early show on Sunday. So we'd have uh, dinner together. And, you know, that was really an education. And Tom, of course, was in New York with me, so... He got to know her very well. And when she would come out here to L.A., we always had dinner a lot of times together. And she was a remarkable woman for a woman who changed the face of musical comedy. Yes. Up until, up until Ethel, you know, everybody sang with kind of a soprano goosey voice. Mm-hmm. Or mezzo, but a rather, you know, she was the first one to do what we call the Broadway belt. She was a belter. And I asked her one time, and she said, um, oh, I, I was said one time to her, I said, you know, Ethel, there's a part in uh, on Broadway that, that they're holding auditions for, and it's just perfect for me. And so I'm going to try to audition for her. She said, well, honey, why don't you just go tell them? You're perfect for the part. I said, what? She said, just tell them. And it dawned on me with that when she said it. She'd never had to audition. She was singing at a movie house in Astoria, New York, this young girl, and they spotted her, and they took her right to Broadway, George Gershwin. And... um uh, and she was a star from the first from the first time she opened her dead gum mouth. She was a star. She sang Johnny One Note, and you know held that thing uh, that note forever that she has that. And from then on, she was a star. I don't think she even knew what an audition was. Oh my gosh! And I said, Oh my God! What a fabled career but she she said and she's kind of matter of fact about it she said i knew from that first night that i was 
she didn't say a star, but that she had made it on Broadway. Mm-hmm. And she had that kind of, and there was no ego kind of thing involved with it. It's got, honey, I, I asked her once how she vocalized. I don't vocalize. I stand backstage and I go, ah, and she said, oh, I probably blew the mic out. No, you didn't. <laughs> she said, I do that one note and I go, that's it. I still got it. And she said, honey, I save it for the stage. And I'm just fascinated by by her. Oh. And I never, and Tom and I were with her a lot in her apartment, and she'd have music on and something like that. I never heard her play any of her numbers. Wow. Never. I'm sure she had them. But I, and the only pictures that she, you know, she had pictures made with everybody that ever lived. And the only pictures she had in her apartment were pictures of her with, like, heads of state, presidents, or, or you know, the famous women, Thatcher, or this. Mm-hmm. And uh, people, uh, politically or diplomatically, not just political, mm-hmm or Einstein, or somebody. They were never with movie stars. Right, or, or show Broadway people. Stars. Now, her mother and daddy, she kept them in an apartment right above her uh, until they died. Oh. And they collected everything that was given to the, uh, you know, to the library there for mm-hmm. the theater. And, um, and all that, her scrapbooks, everything. She didn't keep them. Her mother and daddy kept all that. I don't think she ever kept any of that. And that's unlike a lot, you know, most people do. And uh, now I must, I will tell you, Tom and I do not have scrapbooks, darling. We have we have boxes full of terrifying pictures uh, I was... and, and reviews. And when we go, honey, somebody's going to have a wonderful time. They're going to kill us for keeping all that crap. But no, they'll be they'll be happy that you did. <laughs> anyway, darling, it's all in a box somewhere. But I will talk about all of those people and tell funny stories. And some of them, I will talk about the last time I saw Elpo Merman. Oh, and uh, which is a lovely, touching, you know, story. It kind of like a movie. And oh. Uh, Ethel's real name was Ethel Agnes Zimmerman. Mm-hmm. And once I said to her, after I knew her very well, Ethel, I think you're not an Ethel. You're more an Agnes. <laughs> she said, do you think so? Truthfully, I thought both names kind of sucked. But, <laughs> but I said, from now on, Tom and I are going to call you Agnes. She said, perfect. And with that, all the letters she wrote us, or any poster she signed, whatever, she always signed it Agnes. Oh, my God. And Debbie, when she died, I said, that woman did us out of $1 million. We would have had all those autographs of <laughs> Ethel Merman. She signed them Agnes. Nobody gives a dang about Agnes signing a poster. <laughs> so I laughed my tail off when I said, well, she did us in, dear. Oh, my God. That's fabulous, Carol. That is fabulous. Well, we do have a lot of... If you'd be interested in one signed Agnes, darling, it won't mean a thing to anybody. Hey, I'll I'll take one signed Agnes. You got... How's Brian doing? I don't know. Brian's sitting in there. Brian's fine. Is he okay? He's okay. He's nodding his head up and down. Oh, he's hungry. Well, so am I, Brian. You want to take me out to lunch? Uh, Yeah, he's nodding his head. Yes, yes. Perfect. Well, you're you're in Palm Springs right now, aren't you? Uh, no, no. I'm, I I did Palm Springs last week. Oh, so you're back uh, home now? Yeah, a show called uh, One Night Only, and it was a tri- by the way, it was a tribute to Jerry Herman, and oh. we did it the night that Bette Midler, the same night Bette Midler was opening in Hello Dolly on Broadway, the revival, Ooh. last week. And I figured it out, Debbie Lynn, Deborah Lynn, Debbie Lynn, I figured it out. And I, w- I closed the show with the song, my favorite song from Hello, Dolly, 
because I played it for two years. Yes, you in did. In Australia. And my favorite song, other than, well, the Dolly number is great because you're in a big red dress, honey, with 20 boys going, you're fabulous. Who wouldn't <laughs> like that? But I always felt an orangutan could wear that red dress and be pretty good. So, um, but in this concert the other night, I closed the show with the song Before the Parade Passes By. And that's what I think is the core of Dolly. That's who I think Dolly is, for those who know the show. And it was wonderful because I figured out the time difference. And I was singing before the parade passes by about the time she was singing Hello, Dolly. Not exactly, but almost. But close. Now, I know that's a strange thing to think of. But I thought it was ironic and quite theatrical, and I thought about it when I was singing the song, you know. Oh. So I thought that I thought that was sweet. I did. Do you plan I, to go to New York to see Beth's performance? Well, I sure hope to. And they invited me and Tom to the opening, but we couldn't go. So uh, we'll we'll do that later down the line. But it was exciting uh, to do. Oh, my. And I had sung that uh, a year ago for Carol Channing's 95th birthday in Palm Springs yet again. And I, they asked me to do Before the Parade Passes By for her. And that that was really exciting and scary. I go, oh, my God, I'm singing Before the Parade Passes By for the woman who originated the part. <laughs> but, but I thought, well, that's that's terrifying oh yeah but you're the gutsy broad you can do yeah, that i'm gutsy and she couldn't have been that she sat on the front row with tommy coon she did not come up on stage she's rather frail now mm-hmm. but still full of you know she's great but she's just frail mm-hmm. that's all. and uh, so that was fun that was you know me show business i tell you has We've gotten to meet great people we would have never met in our lives. And you're that way, Debbie. And look at all the people you've met. I mean. Yes, but you're my favorite. Yeah. Oh, oh, you're in the will. You're my favorite, Carol. Everybody knows you're my favorite. You're in the will, kid. That means you're going to be up to your tail in costume jewelry. (laughs) (laughs) But you're going to love it. Hey, it's very good costume jewelry, darling. I got news for you. My brother uh, has been packing up everything that was in my dad's house and sending, like, dispersing it to the siblings and sent me all of my mother's jewelry. Well, a lot of it is fine gold and gemstones, but then a bulk of it is costume jewelry, but it's very fine costume jewelry. Oh. Back Whoa. from back from the forties when Trafari would do limited edition like Oh honey, that was Eisenberg for um um Yes. And I've got tons of this. He sent an entire it was FedEx he took it to FedEx to have it boxed up and it was a three by three by three box filled with boxes. Okay, David Lynn, I wanna be in your will. <laughs> I mean, to hell with mine. I will sell my mother for, honey, I don't care. I, the dress can cost $25. You put me in a $25 black dress, hand me a piece of jewelry, and I'm on. I mean, I now have oh, 70, 70 pearl ear, sets of pearl earrings. Oh my, I wish I'd known your mother before you did. Oh, my God. I would have had that jewelry. Trust me, you and my mother would have gotten along famously, oh, Carol. <laughs> oh, I love it. I'm not kidding you. But I, it, it will make an outfit. And you have, that's all jewelry. Uh, that's better costume jewelry. jewelry costume jewelry now sucks. Dude. No, this, this all goes back to the 40s, 50s, and the 60s. Okay, that's right my era, darling. And, of course, a lot of it, the funniest part is, I'd say probably one-third all had price tags on it or still in the or still in the original boxes 
because the she al- was nuts. she kept everything in the original boxes with the original cotton that they used to pack the jewelry in in the boxes. Oh my! God. Oh yeah, Brian, don't you think she ought to give me a love gift? Oh, I Is think he nodding yes. He's actually going to the mic to talk to you. Listen. Oh. Whatever, whatever you ask for, Carol. Whatever it is, you rest assured that I'm going to make sure that it happens. Oh, now I couldn't quite hear, darling. Uh, Whatever it is that you want, Carol, just know that I will make it happen for you. Oh, I heard, I heard that, Brian. I heard that, Brian. I'll make it up to you in small ways. Okay. Okay. You're gonna, Brian. You're gonna love it. You're right there with Debbie Lynn. Just keep saying, I think we ought to do something for Carol. (laughs) Kind of a mercy gift, okay? Well, don't you be surprised. I'm going to bring you something next Sunday. Oh, boy, I course. Or Saturday. Didn't I? Next Saturday, I'm going to bring you something. Fabulous. (laughs) Oh, this is worth this call just to get. (laughs) I'm going to bring you something from the collection. Oh, I love it. Love it. Love it. Because, I mean, there's there's more than I can ever wear in a lifetime, let me tell you. <laughs> I just love that. I really mean that. Uh, costume jewelry, the bigger the better. I just love costume jewelry. Oh, it doesn't even matter about it. You know, I mix it up with real jewelry. Honey, my costume jewelry is very, very darling. I love it. Yeah, so, and, but, that's, but you made the good point back. It's the stuff that comes from the 40s, 50s, and 60s. When it was really extremely well made. Oh, yeah. And truly unique in design. And the stones are much prettier, darling. Yeah. I know we're boring the hell out of the audience, but let me tell you, ladies who are listening, get that jewelry of that era much better, much better. Yep. I guarantee you, I know some, some, of, the, some of the gals from t- who, are part of, who watch TCM all the time, I guarantee you, they are not bored by listening about jewelry. No. No, darling, anything. I'm just this side of a tiara. Ooh, at the big show the other night, a, a lot of very wealthy ladies were there. And I said to one of them, "My this Palm Springs, I said, my God, what a gorgeous necklace. I mean, it was solid emeralds, <gasps> uh, Debbie Lynn. And she said to me, oh, darling, this is my summer jewelry. I went, well, I'll bet there's a crown in her winter jewelry. <laughs> Don't you love that? I do. Well, you know what? We are almost out of time. we got about two minutes left. Okay. So I want to, no, I'm not hanging up. You're not hanging up. Okay. But we just need to give a shout out to everybody to remind them to buy tickets. Oh, and the cast. I, I really, starting with Bruce Philan, well, I won't go through the cast. We don't have time. But. You know, but they are fabulous. Everybody's like Broadway people, show people, and they're wonderful. And we're pouring it on because it's the last time we do it. And I, Scott just gave me the heads up that Madison Clare Parks, Betty Garrett's granddaughter, will be in the show again. Yes, she, and she's, uh, she's uh, in a show on Broadway. She's leaving that for, for two nights to come out here to do our show. And that that speaks volumes. And, and I, that's a great testament to her grandmother, who was such a vital part oh, you bet. of that the was show. My, always my buddy. And um, anyway, it's it's actually not only, as I said, a worthy cause, but it's a hell of a show. And it's our last one. So there will be a lot of. A lot of tears and laughter. My my family's coming from Texas, oh. honey. It's all. It's going to be. It's going to be special. Everybody, the TCM crowd. I want everybody there. Come on. But and there are still tickets available. I was actually on the theater website this morning. Oh, good. And there are still tickets available. Uh, that's fabulous. That's and. All anyone has to do is go to www.stagela.com, and it'll take you right there. I promise you it'll be worth it. It's going to be a special evening, okay? It is, and I'm going to see you and Tom on Saturday. Let me put it this way. You certainly are. Yes. You're coming with jewelry. I am. (laughs) See, I go right after you. I know. Okay, Brian, be sure she does that. 
Okay. He's nodding his head. Carol, okay. my love, thank you so much. I love you both. I love you, and thank you, Debbie Lynn. Oh, thank you. I'll see you Saturday, and even if stage ends, we still uh, yeah. will have our annual phone call. No matter what, we will have it, okay? All right, Carol, love you. Love you. Bye. Bye, darling. Bye. And that was the iconic, the legendary Carol Cook. We're all out of time today. So, if you want to see Carol in person, Stage LA, Saturday, May 13th at Spawn Theater. Tickets available. Um, until next week, I'm Debbie Elias. This is Behind the Lens. Yeah.